becoming more and more familiar as the days go by. It's a phrase I think that was coined for obvious reasons. And the phrase is, London's burning. London's burning. I came across a, a poem. And it's, it's, it's funny because it's like, ev like today everyone is a rapper. Like everyone and every man and his dog is a rapper. I remember back in the days when being, like, rapping was, oh my gosh, it was, it, was, it was a skilled art of few. Now it's, you know what I'm saying, it's something that many practice. But I must say, I came across this and I thought it was quite amazing. And I thought it was only apt that I play it. Lon London's burning. I'm going to play this and then I'll pray and then we'll get started. London's burning with desire to find a way to fight the fire, but it's burning bright throughout the night and the feelings feeling dire. In the wake of loss of life, it feels insensitive to talk political, but when the evidence points to negligence, the situation is critical. In the nation's wealthiest borough, there exists another half, a half of lookers-on, of workers strong, no strangers to the graft. These folks are fueled by hope, the working broke. This inequality is not new. And though they're the neighbours of the wealthiest, their only luxury is the view. Last year, that building had 10 million spent on through and through refurbishment. Well, surely that's good news. Was it made safer to inhabit? More convenient to use? Right? Because what's the price of human life? What amount could they not fetch? Working fire alarms, a sprinkler system, what the budget couldn't stretch. According to the BAFSA, for approximately 300k, they could have had a sprinkler system fitted. But for £10 million, they did the rounds of who was benefited. An aesthetic authority is a pathetic priority, while the majority continue in abject poverty, while burned by the baseless brunt of austerity and punished for their lack of financial prosperity. All that cash, and here is the mad thing. They found the funds for brand new cladding, encased in a case of flammable wrapping, Cabin of the luxury flats they keep adding. Nothing changes. We've all seen Titanic. We know when disaster strikes and folks feel panic. Put the shutters down because some must drown. Put first class in boats, leave the rest to manage. Another tale of safety forgot so the decking can look all neat. But have we learned nothing? Have we not come far? Why must we still feel the heat? There's a neglect of time, a neglect of care, a neglect of funds, a neglect of fare, neglecting here and neglecting there. Governance for the few, and I don't think that's fair. I'm glad the PM met with firefighters, but why can't she meet locals or comfort survivors? A public inquiry is not the right thing to do. They will brush it under the carpet just to see it go through. We must demand a criminal inquest by hell or high water and call this what it is, corporate manslaughter. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father, increasingly it is evident that the governments of this world are not able to provide that which is necessary for humankind. Generation after generation after epoch after epoch after millennia after millennia Lord, kingdoms come and kingdoms go. 
and still mankind finds itself in a quandary. Father, whether, whether the government's blue or the government's red or yellow and black or regardless, Lord, we are constantly reminded that only your kingdom and we pray, don't we, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is only going to come about <coughs> through the King of kings, which is the Lord Jesus. And, and we do, we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come. Amen. Amen. So, you've joined us kind of to the back end of the first part of our Bible overview. And in our Bible overview, we're looking today at the book of Daniel. <clears throat> this is week 13, Daniel. And um, <clears throat> we've been looking at the prophets under four major headings as we've been going through. We started off in Genesis, moved through the journey through the wilderness into the time of the kings and and now we're looking at the time of the prophets. And <clears throat> we've been looking at the prophets under four headings, right? Minor, major, exilic, and post-exilic. We've looked at the minor. Who do we look at? Do you remember? Began with, began with H. Hosea. Last week we did one of the... That, now, Hosea was a minor prophet. Last week we did a major prophet. Who did we do last week? Isaiah. Thank you. And this week... <clears throat> Um, we're not just looking at a major prophet. We're looking at a major prophet who prophesied during the time of exile, um, whose name is Daniel. Next week, we'll look at Ezra as we get ready to finish up. <clears throat> now, as I said, Daniel is one of the five major prophets. And Daniel, um, he's quite commonly known, or the book is, as the apocalypse of the Old Testament. Now, when you hear that word apocalypse, it's one of them scary words, right? And... Um, Often, people don't interpret it for what it really means. Um, apocalypse. What the word apocalypse actually means is, I was going to say, anybody know what the word apocalypse means? But I won't do that because I might embarrass you. But then also, it's going to eat up my time. So, <laughs> apocalypse. Hey, times are changing. <laughs> we, we wish, right? <laughs> the word apocalypse means uncovering. That's what it means. It means, it means, it means, Literally to disclose something, particularly knowledge, and um, it's a lifting of the veil or a revealing of something. That's what the word means. And in, in, in religious context, it's usually a disclosure of something that is hidden. So it's not a big scary word like, you know what I'm saying, you think about apocalypse. You see all these big monsters coming in the future, coming to get us. That's what you tend to think of. Actually, this is <laughs> actually what it means. And with that definition... What book in the New Testament does this remind you of? Revelation. Revelation. And again, you say the book of Revelation, everybody gets scared. Fundamentally, you know, because the end times and here comes the Antichrist, you know, and the mark of the beast, you know, watch out. Those who have an iPhone, <laughs> Apple Pay. <laughs> oh, boy. <clears throat> But the book of Revelation fundamentally is exactly that word apocalypse. It's to unveil or to reveal something that's hidden 
It's really fundamentally helping us to see that which is coming before it comes, right? <clears throat> now, throughout this series, um, we've been in speaking in terms of God's people, in God's place, under God's rule and blessing. So initially, we talked about Adam and Eve, God's people. Where are they? In the garden, which is God's place. And they've only got one law in terms of God's rule, you know what I'm saying? And they're enjoying his incredible blessing. Um, <clears throat> but then they get extracted from God's place, don't they? Fast forward, you come to Noah and his family. And so Noah and his family are God's people. And where is God's place? The ark is the place of safety. It's the God's place of provision, you know what I'm saying, for them. And as long as they're, 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 they're remaining in relationship with God, they're enjoying that, that blessing and that preservation. If, as long as they're under God's rule. Do you see that? Fast forward again. You've got the 12 sons of Jacob, right? God's people. And they're living um, at a particular place um, called Egypt, right? And... It's funny because they transition out of Egypt and they walk for 40 years through where? The wilderness. And at that point in time, that was God's place for them. But eventually, he wanted to get them somewhere else, didn't he? He wanted to get them into the promised land. You know what I'm saying? But prior to getting there, in the wilderness, um, what is God's rule or God's law? Remember Moses? He gave them the Ten Commandments while they were traveling through the wilderness, right? And that was God's rule. So you've got God's people in God's place under God's rule, the commandments, enjoying his blessing. It says in one of the Psalms that when they walked through the wilderness, their shoes didn't wear out. Fast forward. The 12 sons of Jacob become the 12 tribes of Israel. Obviously a much, much bigger family now. And now they're living in the promised land. And... And, and specifically, God's place. You've got, a, you've got, you've got, you've got the temple, which, which is actually the place where God dwells. I forgot to mention the tabernacle, the collapsible tent that they used during the wilderness. That was God's place. But now they're in the land. And they've got, and, and they got kings now ruling. And they become a, 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 a nation state. And complete contrast to where they started, two people. Now they're a nation. But they're a nation that tends to constantly go away from God. So God has to send them prophets who speak to them. And always reminding them of that which was spoken of by, by Moses in the Mosaic Covenant. During that time in the wilderness, the prophets are always reminding them, going back to the covenant, going back to the Mosaic law and reminding them. That was the job of the prophets, to come back to God. So that they can enjoy freedom and then prosperity. But if you know your Old Testament history, especially as we've been going through it, you know that they had, <laughs> they had peaks and troughs. You know what I'm saying? They, um, they, what is it when, it when the tide goes out and the tide comes in? What do they call it again? Ebb and flow. Thank you, Charles. Ebb and flow. You know what I'm saying? That's what they were like. Good and then bad. You know what I'm saying? Obeying God and then worshipping idols. And here come the prophets to help them. <clears throat> and, and if you like, here we are at one of the major prophets. His name is Daniel. During the time of Daniel, who are God's people? Anybody remember? Specifically. You could say Israel. This is me trying to help you, right? You'd be right, but you'd only be half right. Judah. Judah. Thank you, my sister. Judah, because Israel, the ten, the ten nations in the north have gone 
into Assyrian captivity. God's warning Judah, don't be like Israel, your sister. Oh, the same thing will happen to you, Judah. But they were now, they were God's people. But they didn't listen. And eventually they did end up getting into, getting taken into captivity. And so you've got God's people who are Judah. Uh, and before we even look at God's place, God's rule is the law, as I mentioned, the Mosaic covenant, but then also the, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, all the other covenants. We did this quite a number of weeks ago, looking at all of the different covenants. Did you realize there were so many of them? You know what I mean? And that's apart from, I say apart from the new covenant, specifically speaking, kind of because some of those spill over, as you can see, Old Testament up to a certain point. But those covenants are fulfilled in the New Testament more clearly and more specifically. And... <clears throat> And if you notice, all of those covenants are very similar, apart from one fundamentally. Most of them are what they call um, unilateral covenants. One of them is a bilateral covenant. Unilateral covenants is God making a covenant and a promise that he's going to keep regardless if his people are faithful or unfaithful. But there's one covenant there, you break it, it's curtains. Or at least there's a penalty to pay. Because it's a bilateral covenant, there's two parts to it. Anybody remember which one it was? Amen. The Mosaic is the bilateral covenant. And if you, if you keep that covenant, there are blessings. You break that covenant, there are what? Curses. And because they continue to break God's covenant, here come Babylon to teach them a lesson. I mean, it's a very harsh one, but it was a necessary one because of their consistent disobedience. And, and the Babylonians lay siege to Judah. That is, they're in a battle, but the Babylonians don't even go in and like, we're going to go and kill everybody. No, they just, they just waited outside the city. Oh, and, and they surrounded the city to the point where they never bothered going in, but guess what? Nobody could get out. And because they couldn't get out, that means they couldn't get out to get supplies, rations, no food, no water. And the people began to starve. And pretty much that was the, pl that was the plan. You know what I'm saying? That was, the, that, that was the, 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 the means through which the Babylonians were going to win this particular war. And it got so bad in Israel, was in Judah, that they were so hungry that they began to eat each other's children. That's how bad it got. And um, eventually what happens is, Obviously, they surrender. It's a bit of a long, complicated story, but the long and short of it is they surrender. And the Babylonians, they go in and they loot everything. Do you remember we talked about Hosea and one of his sons, meaning um, like straight to the booty. You know, going, go. I mean, he was warning of that this time to come, but here it comes. And this is it now. And the Babylonians go in and they take everything. They just rape the, the country of all of its resources, particularly that which is found in the temple. And they take everyone into captivity, into exile. I say everyone, most people. And, and, and when they take them away, guess who's a part of the group that they bring into Babylon? Daniel. Daniel, being a teenager at the time, but a very uncompromising teenager at that. So that's God's people, Judah. They're not under God's rule now because they're in disobedience. And hence, where is God's place now? It's in Babylon. Thank you, Harry. God's place for them now is it's not in Judah or Jerusalem now. It's Babylon. In Jeremiah chapter 29, it says, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, generally speaking, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. All right, sounds, sounds a bit similar to Genesis language about going forth and multiply, remember? See, God's purpose is still going to be fulfilled regardless. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. You see that? And pray to the Lord on its behalf for its wealth. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Thankfully, Pastor E led us in prayer right today to pray for our city. And the reason, um, at least going back to this story, the reason for this terrible Babylonian captivity is a result of breaking that Mosaic covenant, the law of Moses. And this is the job of the prophets to foretell, well, to foretell like Hosea, but now to foretell or to tell forth God's word to his people. Daniel chapter 9, here, here, here's Daniel. He says, look, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written where? In the law of Moses, the servant of God. And this is, this is centuries later, you know what I'm saying? Have been poured out on us. Because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. And let me just pause and, and mention that just because I'm reading this based on what I played at the beginning is not necessarily me suggesting that what is happening is God's judgment. Let me just say that. You know what I'm saying? Um, let me just say that. Verse 13, just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster, you see how the prophet is pointing them back again to God's word, back again to the Mosaic covenant. All this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Again, I reiterate. I'm not trying to say that what we're experiencing is God's judgment. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is God's judgment fell on his people back in the time of Daniel. And it was because, he'd, it was because they had turned away from him. They had turned away from his covenant. Now, listen to what inspired Daniel's prayer at the beginning of this chapter, it says, verse 1 to 3, it says, in the, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, what a name, Xerxes, who was a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, notice this, I, Daniel, understood from where? The scriptures, you know. According to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet. Now this is years before, right? According to the word given to Jeremiah the prophet, one of my brethren's prophets, right? That the desolation of Jerusalem was going to happen and it would last a particular time. How long? 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God. You see, this is what's inspiring his prayer. So he read this and he's like, oh my gosh. 
So he turns to the Lord and, and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Can you see how Daniel is inspired to pray? You ever struggle in your prayer life? <laughs> I got both hands up. You know what I'm saying? Those in front and behind the pulpit. I know I can say that unequivocally. You know what I mean? Because it's, it's a battle. You know what I mean? When you're praying, you're engaging in warfare. And <clears throat> can you see how Daniel was inspired to pray? I would suggest that this is probably one of the ways that we'll be inspired to pray. Whilst Daniel is doing his devotions, you know, my man's reading his Bible, right? He comes across good news. And the good news is, boy, you're in, you're in Babylonian captivity at the minute, you know, Daniel. And he's like, boy, yeah, and don't I know it? They got me eating their food. They're trying to change my, my, the way that I talk. You know what I'm saying? It's like, every, I know that things have changed. I'm in a completely new, different environment, and we're under oppression. You know what I mean? And, but he comes across this good news like it's only going to last for a certain period of time. And he's like, oh, wow. And he is now inspired to pray. Now, we know he's someone who prays, right? We just read that in verse 3. But here we see that he's, he's also someone who reads the Bible, and it's the Bible that inspires his prayers. I find that that's helpful for me. Sometimes, you know, if, if, if you're not reading your Bible whilst you're praying, you quickly run out of things to pray for. You know what I mean? Or you end up praying for the same things over and over and over and over and over again, right? And um, prayer is vital. It's one of the spiritual disciplines. And <sighs> it's one of the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Can I recommend a book um, for you for maybe the summer or two? Um, this is a book that I purchased recently. And it's a book I'm aiming to read through over the summertime. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald S. Whitney. And in it, he talks about prayer as being one of those vital spiritual disciplines, one of those things that we battle to do consistently and effectively. And it's funny because he's also got another book, and his other book is called Praying the Bible. And, again, and I've not read it, but I understand that what it is, is it's taking verses or sections of scripture like this to help us to be inspired to pray. Praying prayers that are actually in the Bible, but contextualizing them for the times in which we live. You know what I'm saying? So there's two books that I recommend, and um, we can exchange notes come September. Um, <clears throat> now, now, we're not exactly sure how old Daniel is at this point when he reads this prophecy. Some theologians suggest that he's about 80 years old. You know what I'm saying? Um, and it would make sense if he went in as a teenager, you know and I'm saying, and they're, they're there for 70 years, being in his kind of mid-80s would make a lot of sense, right? Um, <clears throat> we'll come back to his age in a moment. Um, however old he is, he's committed to God, isn't he? He's committed to God now as he was if it were 60 years previously. How about, how about you? How long have you been a Christian? You know what I mean? When you first got saved, on fire, you know. Like flame on fire. Couldn't quench you. Couldn't put you out. Bare zeal. Hardly any knowledge, but bare zeal, right? And um, have you been able to maintain that zeal? You know what I'm saying? As the, as the years go by, has the fire been quenched? Um, 
And you know, there's loads of things that come into our lives that will cause us to diminish as it were, you know what I mean? Um, in our intensity, in our pursuit after God, and even our love for his word, and given our, um, given, um, our time given to, to communion with him in, in prayer, particularly, it's a battle, isn't it? You know what I mean? And, um, and I, 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 as I mentioned, I struggle in, in that every day is a battle to find that time to be with the Lord, to find that time to get in his word. Thankfully, we've got things like MP3 players and iPods and we can go online and you can listen to stuff. You know, we've got to take advantage of this, this stuff. You can, like I remember Pastor E saying to me, boy, one of the things that's blessed him, you know what I'm saying, is audio Bible. Audio Bible. Audio Bible, yes, but audio books. So you can like, now, the spiritual disciplines one, you can't get on audio book. Trust me, I tried. But the pray, and it's 365 pages, trust me, I tried. Praying the Bible now, you can get um, whisper.net, I think, or if you buy it on Amazon, um, you can get the audio version for, I think, for $4.99, $3.99, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and so the, the, this is stuff that, that, that is really you on the train on the way to work. You know how much time you spend commuting? Some of you, some of us. Man, since I've been working full-time, getting on the train all the time, or, or can you believe I got back on my bike? Where's Morena? Morena is the absolute wow such an inspiration. You know, when I mash up my hand, trust me, when I, when I felt a little better, one of the first things I was going to do was sell my bike. And, and the thing is, I only bought the bike a little while ago, you know. Tutus, if you know me, anytime I get into something new, I want to get this, I want to buy the new this, I want a new outfit, da, da, da. When I started cycling, I said, trust, things I, have to ch things I have to change in my life. And I said, I'm not buying no new bike. And I was riding my old bike, my bike, Pastor E, you know, my bike is 20 years old, that old bike. My GT chucker. Listen. And I said, I'm going to ride that old bike until it, until it broke. And then maybe, if I'm a bit consistent, then two twos, I'll get myself a new bike, innit? I rode that thing for about six months regularly, consistently. And I thought, you know what? I thought, man, round, round about now is the time where I can bless myself a little bit. You seen that Ford advert? Do you really deserve that car? That was me, you know, and I was like, yeah, I think I do now, because I've been, and if I buy it, all the money that I saved in fares, blah, 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 you know, it is, rationalized it, two twos. Black Friday, it's Black Week now, isn't it? Black Friday, Black Week came, November, I found this bike, I had my eye on it for a while, it was 1,200 pounds, I got it for half, I got it for 50% off, I got 50% discount, but honestly, able to pay for that with all the money that I'd saved in fares, you know, it's about, it's about, how much is it for a one-day travel card? even though they don't do travel cut on your oyster. How much is it? It's about 12, it's ridiculous. The amount off, and that's what man said, that's off peak. <laughs> it's peak, it's off. Man, so, where was I going with that? Well, so, I'm on my bike now. Thank you, Bertram. So, I'm on my bike now. Two, two, if I put my headphones on, it's half, it's half an hour to 45 minutes to Tower Bridge from Sydenham. It's like, man. I can save a lot of time by listening to something constructive. I'm trying to help you out here. I'm trying to give you some tips. What can I say? <laughs> now. Are we still committed? These are the things that are going to keep us, keep the fires burning. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm convinced anyway. Daniel, throughout the whole of his life, you know what I'm saying, was a, he, was, he was a very godly man. Um, it doesn't mean that he wasn't a sinner. Um, he confesses that, doesn't he? So beautifully, even in this text. Um, and we'll see it a little bit more in a minute. And um, 
Even though you can't really put a finger on Daniel, kind of specifically, like maybe David or Solomon or Samson. Um, he is a sinner. It's a bit like Mary. You're not saying Mary. People, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church are convinced that Mary is sinless. You heard about, um, what do they call it? People think it's speaking about Jesus when they talk about it. The Immaculate Conception. People think when, they, when Roman Catholics say the Immaculate Conception, they're talking about Jesus being conceived immaculately like without any intervention apart from God's intervention. They're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about Mary. Mary, they say, was immaculately conceived. It's in, like Vody Bokum would say, that, that's in, it's in Second Hesitations. Haven't you read it? That's, it's right, that's right. Second Hesitations ain't in the Bible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's not biblical. Mary was a sinner, and we know that because she, she, went to, she went to the temple with her husband with a sin offering. And she prayed it, didn't she, in a Magnificat. You know what I'm saying? Crying out to God, her Savior. Why would she call out to God, her Savior, if she didn't need saving? She herself was a sinner. Um, <clears throat> Daniel, very similarly. But Daniel identifies beautifully with the rest of the nation, doesn't he? Um, yet unlike many at that time, he confesses and he forsakes his sin. Um, we have a similar challenge, don't we? It's like God has given us good news, hasn't he, in the gospel. He's given us... Good news, and in the midst of all the madness that we see taking place, especially in London, in the light of end-time prophecy, what can we do? We can pray. I mentioned Morena. I, can't, I don't want to forget. When I broke my hand and, it was right, and I said I was going to sell my bike, Morena said to me, Pastor Rob, don't sell your bike because there might be a time. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm never going to get on a bicycle again. What? And get on, and I fall off and mash up my hand again. No, sir. That's what, and, she, and, and, it was, and I never sold it. I left it there. And would you believe, last, last, last week and a half, I've jumped back on my bike again. So thank you, my sister. Thank you very much. And I mean, from me to you, thank you. Great inspiration. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I think, I don't think we celebrate enough, celebrate each other enough. You know what I mean? Like, some people who are working in, in different areas that are not necessarily Christian, quote-unquote, are not ministry, quote-unquote. If you're not an evangelist or you're not a pastor. Or you're not, you're, how about if you're a teacher? Like, I say that because Marina is a qualified teacher. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, 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 and what? Don Marina really. <laughs> Oh my God! It's Father's Day, isn't it, Marky? All right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let's say you're heading up the food distribution service. <laughs> Big up yourself, Marky. <laughs> okay. But again, in the midst of all of the madness, you know what I'm saying? It's like we can pray, and often it's. We can, uh, uh, well, let's just pray. Like, well, when you're in a place where there ain't nothing else you can do, then, you know what I mean? <laughs> let's pray. Not really expecting anything's going to happen. Uh, you know what I mean? But, no, it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, we ain't got time to look at it, but Daniel starts praying, and oh my God, like the heavens literally open up to the point where here comes this angel to talk to him. You know what I mean? Um, 
verse 4 of, of that same text that we started reading in chapter 9, Daniel says, if you drop down to verse 4, he says, I prayed to the Lord my God <laughs> and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors. You see how the Bible is one big story. And to all the people of the land. You know, is it in Chronicles it says, if my people... I'm saying, well, humble, humble themselves, turn from their wicked, wicked ways, seek my face and pray. And I'm saying, God says, I will hear from heaven. Oh, my gosh. And I, and, 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 and I, and I will respond. And he'll come and he'll he bring healing to the land. I mean, wow. It's funny, isn't it? Often we don't, <clears throat> we don't apart from Christmas and Easter, say we're going to preach certain messages or certain parts of the Bible at certain times, but it's so beautiful how often God brings his word just what we need to hear just at the right time, you know what I'm saying we want to see our city blessed and benefited let's not shortchange our city by being unwilling to pray because <laughs> is it going to happen any other way and the main theme of this book of Daniel so Daniel was written to encourage the exiled Jews. I mean, how many of you know they were, in a, they were having a bad time? This was written, but God hadn't cast them off. This was written to encourage the exiled Jews by revealing God's sovereign program for Israel in spite of the present Gentile domination that they were experiencing. This period is only temporary and will eventually see the eternal messianic kingdom of God established we're going to look at at the rest of the book just under four headings um, Daniel the man Daniel the book the ultimate kingdom and then fourthly the ultimate king of the kingdom so <clears throat> Daniel is a, a unique individual he he starts and he finishes well what a testimony. I mean, you know, I think Sister Judith prayed that as she walks in the room. Prayed that for us as husbands, as men. You know what I'm saying? But that's a prayer for all of us, isn't it? That we will start, but we will also finish. I'm talking about you. Well, I wasn't doing it behind your back. Notice. Notice. <laughs> he starts and he finishes well. Now, he's one of the young men who were originally, like I said, brought into the Babylonian government. You know, he was brought in at a very, very high level, very senior level. He was greatly respected by the king, but despised by his peers. And they try to get him into trouble, don't they? He's highly esteemed by God. And we see that by the description by, given by the angel in chapter 10, verse 11. But then also, Ezekiel, who's a contemporary of Daniel, that means they're around at the same time. Listen to what Ezekiel says. Oh my gosh. Remember, we're talking about Daniel the man. Ezekiel 14 verse 12 says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, 
If a country sins against me by being unfaithful and I stretch out my hand against it to cut off its food supply and send famine upon it and kill its people and their animals, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, even if, they, if, even if that man were in there, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. It's like things are so horrible now. God ain't hearing it. It's like we need to pray while we can. Isaiah 55 verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. Amen. That anticipates there's going to be a time when he ain't going to be listening and a time when he ain't going to be near like I'm not trying to hear you. You know what I mean? And I don't think that time is yet. You know what I mean? We can cry out to him and, and don't be confused by it, them saying, by it saying here that they could save themselves by their own righteousness. Now remember, we've got to be consistent and also systematic in our theology. So this righteousness is a faith-based righteousness. It's not a works-based righteousness, right? So you see how Daniel's like a G. <laughs> He's listed with Noah and Job. You know that you're saying something, right? And he's also wise as well as very godly. In Daniel chapter 5, it says, um, verse 10, starting at verse 10, it says, The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. <laughs> there is a man in your kingdom. I think this is the story where the hand comes out, writes on the wall, right? And everyone's like, oh my God. Like, writing on the wall. Many, many temple, temple, tekel you, you pass in. Your kingdom has been weighed and found wanting. Oi, this is the king, you know, like, rah. <laughs> and the queen's like, calm down. You know what I'm saying? May the king live forever. Don't worry. You know what I mean? You ain't going to drop dead in, in the next 10 seconds. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale, you know. Verse 11. There's a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence. You see how the man's consistent? He's consistent over, the, the, he's consistent over monarchies. This, for a long time, my man's been consistent. You see that? And, found favor to, uh, and he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, has, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding, and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. Isn't it? Wow. And it's funny, isn't it? You see how Daniel, with all his gifts, is being a blessing to a secular environment. Even in the midst, notice, of a crooked and perverse generation, and that not just Babylon, his own people, right? He finds himself in this, in this place, in this capital city. It's like New York. Like, talk about, this is one of the most influential cities of that time in that place. You know what I'm saying? It's, this is a, Babylon is a world superpower. And Daniel's here and he's a man of faith, prayer, courage, consistency. What a great example. How I many of you know the Bible says God provides everything that we need for what? 
for life and godliness, regardless of the context. You know what I mean? God's power can supersede that. So <clears throat> that's Daniel the man. How about, how about the book? Well, it's 12 chapters, right? The first half of the book, chapter 1 through to chapter 6, is written mainly in Aramaic, in the third person, if that flicks your switch. Um, and, it's, and it's mainly stories, the first six chapters, right? If you like, it's, it's literally one story per chapter through those six chapters. And it covers the reign of, of three kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, Bel that's Daniel, Belshazzar and Darius. Chapters. Chapter one, we see the intro to Daniel and his three friends. You remember Daniel's three friends? Reuben, Kayaz, Kieran, Uzama, Kajape, and Ianu. I, I, hope, I don't hope I never left anyone out. I probably did. Lord, forgive me. Just forgive me. Innit? You know what I'm like. Well, I, obviously they weren't there, but they could have been. I mean, they're in the same age category, aren't they? Aren't you guys? Those of you that are in here? You know I mean? It could have been if they were born then, in Daniel chapter 1. says, um, verse 3, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, now you see, like, when I tell you Daniel is on levels, before he even comes into Babylon, you know what I'm saying? Can you see, can you see the, the cloth from which he's cut? That's why they took him, because he was already on levels, right? Both of the family and of the nobility, youths without blemish. Huh. And you lot got, um, what do they call them again? Blackheads. You lot got blackheads. <laughs> I know young people struggle with blackheads. Um, th these never had blemish. I don't know. That weren't funny, was it? It was not funny. <laughs> Use without blemish of good appearance. And I, you know what? It's funny because even as I look again, sorry, Maureen, I'm not trying to make it. The, 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 the overview is supposed to be about two things. It's supposed to be about the fact that the Bible is one story and it's supposed to be about Jesus. I'm making the whole of this message about Maureen. Maureen, she's, she's significant. And, and Kaya's now. Just she's significant because... Here, one of the reasons why they do not have any blackheads and so on, they're without blemish, you know what I'm saying, and good appearance, like physically, is because of their diet. And if you know anything about my girl, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's one of the things that she's encouraged me to do that I've not fully taken on. Forgive me, sis. Because the rabbit food thing, I just I can't work with it. It's just a struggle. What can I say? Some Daniel fast, you know. Um... Look, I was bigging her up now. It feels like I'm tearing her down, and it? It's not even like that. It's not even like that. Um, please. Daniel, without blemish, good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, as we saw earlier, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. And that's what we'd want for our young people, even those young men that I mentioned. You know what I mean? That they would be young men of standing who would be able to when is when is when is um Uzuma coming back december. december he's been away how long has he been away for since december he's been away for a while isn't it since january but i remember the last time i saw him he's so dignified 
You know what I mean? He stands up straight. He always greets you with a smile and a handshake. You know what I mean? And um, dignified. That's why we want our young people to be dignified. Amen. To the point where they can stand up. I heard a girl make, her, make this. They were interviewing this. It's hot in here. Wow. This girl was... It's, it's, this girl, they was interviewing her over this whole drama that's taking place with the fire and so on. And she was so articulate. Oh, my gosh. Was it Swayze or something? Was that her name? Something like that. Oh, no, there was another one. I heard the DJ one. Yeah, she was fire. Oh, my gosh. But there was another, there was another girl. Um, I think she might have been a believer, even with the Message Trust guys over there in West London. And so articulate, man. And she wasn't pointing a finger. She wasn't angry. You know what I'm saying? If anything, she was angry just at the situation. And angered by it. And talking about the community coming together. And she was saying, this is what needs to be reported. This is what people need to hear. You know what I'm saying? Not that this person and that person ain't coming. Look at who has come. And look at what is being done by the community. You know what I mean? Um, young people that can stand even before kings and politicians and Sky News, right? To teach, to teach them the literature and the language of the, the Chaldeans. That's what they did with this group of young men, including Daniel. The king, verse 5, getting back to the point, assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. I mean, if it's good enough for the king, it's good enough for them, right? But it says they were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, like after they get their degree, that they were to stand before the king. Verse 6, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. Judah, remember, that's the kingly line, right? Verse 7, and the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel to be called Belteshazzar, Hananiah called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Tabedwego, right? Abednego. Verse 2, oh, let's not read any more of that section. But can you see how Daniel and also his three friends, um, individuals who... Uh, are in high standing. So that's chapter one. Chapter two, I've got to keep it moving. In chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he wants it identified and interpreted. No one can, but Daniel does. In chapter three, um, the boys that we just mentioned, they get, they, they, the, the challenge is to bow down before the statue. They don't bow, so they get thrown into the fire and, and they don't burn. Um, in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar sees that and he's like, oh my gosh, he's overwhelmed. And he writes this letter confessing his ignorance and his pride. <clears throat> because at one point he says, look at this great Babylon that I have built. You know, that I have built. Look at it. And I mean, I can show you it to some degree. You heard about the hanging gardens of Babylon. It's like, how? You know what I mean? And, 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 and it's no great surprise. I mean, this is a obviously a depiction of what it looked like. But this is on the back of, I mean, the Babylonians, they're just one superpower that came after another. Do you remember who was a massive superpower before then? Maybe even quite a few before then. But Israel were in bondage in Egypt, the pyramids. Like how? I mean, people are still stunned. I think the hanging... Um, gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the world. I think the pyramids are the only ones, the only, the only wonder of the ancient world that's still left standing. And we can't even go to Egypt now. Who wants to go to Egypt? Apparently you can get hotel rooms for like 10 pounds, like a week. Oh my gosh, because nobody wants to go. <laughs> so that's chapter four. In chapter five, Belshazzar, 
Belshazzar, you've got to think of somewhere else to go, right? Bertram already told you you can't go to Austria, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> might, might as well start planning, innit? Just in case. So chapter five. <laughs> Bertram, that was horrible. That was painful, bro. <laughs> you built us up only to tear us down, brother. Wow. So chapter 5, Belshazzar, um, <clears throat> they're using the implements from the table, you know, when the hand comes and writes on the wall. And um, it's, it's just... And in chapter 6, is the, there's Daniel in the lion's den. <clears throat> stories. Chapter 1 through 6, stories. The second half... The second half... <laughs> chapter 7 through 12 are visions. Um, visions about the future apocalyptic, an unveiling, a revealing of what's going to take place. Chapter 7 and 8, Daniel's visions <clears throat> of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and successive kingdoms that would rise and fall in the future. Incredible insight in chapter 7 and 8. Um, <clears throat> you've got Babylon that's currently ruling. Then here comes another kingdom in his prophecy called the Medes and the Persians. Right? Like you see in 300. Right, the Persian Empire descend upon you. Amen. Who conquers the Medes and the Persians? Think of one man, and he was great. Alexander, Alexander had like the, the Grecian Empire then conquers the Medo-Persians, and then who conquers Greece? I mean, Greece conquered virtually the whole world in like something like twenty-seven years or something. Uh, the Romans. Romans come and conquer the Grecians. And, and then there's this picture of a possible future kingdom. This is all in chapter 7 and 8. Daniel sees it all. He sees this big figure, doesn't he? And in chapter 9, Daniel's long prayer during the reign of Darius, because he realizes that the seven years of captivity is up, which we saw a moment ago. And then chapter 10, Daniel's angelic vision, where he gets the visitation from the angel about more end-time prophecy. And in ele chapter 11 and 12, more visions that, re that relate to the end of time, visions. Okay, so that's the book. <clears throat> Let's talk about the ultimate kingdom and then the ultimate king. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 2, verse 9, it says, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of the God, praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. The historical backdrop is the overwhelming political power of Babylon. Very famous according to Near and Middle East type history. Over about a thousand years. It's probably Babel from way back in Genesis 9 through 11. Babel, Babylon, sounds very similar anyway. And, um, <clears throat> and they conquered the Syrians and the Egyptian empires, as I mentioned. And look at, look, look, at, look, look, look at how much of the world they conquered. And it's funny because Babylon is where? Where's modern-day Babylon? It literally it still exists, Iraq. And I mean, you can still see some of them incredible buildings. And, um, <clears throat> and look, from, 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 the, from, the, from Iraq, go right over to the left, at half of Turkey. That's why most of Turkey is, um, is Muslim. Well, it's, it's, not. it's down to Syria. Israel, you can see, completely consumed. 
right down to Jordan, as far left as North Africa, as far south as right down to Saudi Arabia, and going all the way over even to Iran, which is ancient Persia. When you hear Persia in the Bible, so the Medes and the Persians are the Iranians, right? So look how much of the world, if you like, they conquered, bringing spoil from those conquered nations in chapter 1. But as great as, as, as the kingdom is, how many of you know men die? And that's, this is what Daniel sees figuratively with, you know, he sees a ram, he sees a bear, he sees a lion and an eagle. And they all depict these kingdoms. And, you know, we live in an ancient kingdom, don't we? The United Kingdom that pretty much ruled a lot of the world at a particular time. And, and I'm saying, no one would see England. I mean, England is quite a great country still, but not ruling the world anymore. Don't be impressed by America. You know I'm saying, don't be impressed by Europe and all that's going on. All this stuff is very current. You know what I mean? Did you know, do you know Colonel Gaddafi, right, who's Libya, and you know Libya is North Africa. You know Colonel Gaddafi, and I know this personally, privately, not because I know him, but, I, I, yeah. He, and I make it sound like I'm in the know. You probably know this anyway. You know he was going to create what they, call, um, what they called the, the USA, the United States of America. The United States, thank you, of Africa. And what he was going to bring in, he was going to implement the African dollar. And the African dollar was going to destabilize the whole world economy. Can you imagine? And there's an argument that says certain people weren't having it. Tutus, my man was dead. You know what I mean? Because the amount of oil and resources that they got in Africa. My point is kings come and kings will go. Kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. But you know, there's an ultimate kingdom, right? That's coming. It's already come. <laughs> it's coming in a way that it ain't come yet. It's the, it's the already and the not yet. And successive kingdoms, <clears throat> we see um, in this vision that Daniel has, ultimately culminating in an all-conquering king and kingdom. In Daniel chapter 2, right, I've, got to, I've got to finish this now. In Daniel chapter 2, under the ultimate kingdom, verse 31, your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, and he talks about this statue, verse 34, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet. Now notice, it's a rock not made by human hands. Struck the statue at its feet of iron and clay and smashed it. There's an argument that the feet, the iron and the clay are actually a kingdom that has not yet come. Verse 35, then the iron, the clay, the bronze and the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away. You know, you know it's like when wind comes and it just blows dust away. This is... It's the kingdoms that's blowing away, you know. That's what I'm saying. Like, don't be impressed. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 44. In the time of, the, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it 
will itself endure forever. Daniel chapter 2, verse 45 and 47 says, This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now watch the irony of verse 46 and 47. <laughs> big, big Nebuchadnezzar, you know, who went in and terrorized people. Arr! And people would like, fall down at his feet. Arr! You know what I mean? Like, verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be brought, be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Like Nebuchadnezzar, now I was like, Ur. he was, Nebuchadnezzar took King Zedekiah and he slaughtered his sons in front of him just before he bored his, he poked his eyes out. Sorry, I know it's a bit X-rated, right? But it's 18, sorry. But that's what he did. And it was the last thing that King Zedekiah saw, his son's being slain in front of him. I'm telling you how wicked this king is. Yet here he is falling prostrate now before Daniel. But like, but wait a minute, a minute ago you was, he's on his, on his face now on the floor. I'm just saying, let's not be impressed. Who knows how things are going to turn out for, for Donald Trump? I don't know. But I know eventually he's going to be like Nebuchadnezzar. But then it's not just him, it's everybody. The Bible says God has given Jesus a name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You remember how Israel originally had desired a king? We want a king. But you got a king, God is your king. No, we want a king that we can see. We want to be like the other nations. See, for a thousand years, Israel had human kings, and none of them brought an ultimate reign. Forevermore, here is another conquered, not just Jewish king, but Jewish king conqueror, Nebuchadnezzar. And he's bowing. God's like, cool, you don't, don't want to accept me as king, it's all right. I'll come back in a thousand years and I'll show you that I'm king. No sweat. God never got angry or lost any sleep. You know what I mean? Nothing's going to change the fact that I, even if you don't accept me, it's all right. It's not going to change the fact that I am who I am. Nebuchadnezzar's bowing. And, and, and I watch this as we end. Who is he bowing before? See? That's the million dollar question. Who is the true king of glory? Now remember, one of our aims in this series is to show how the Old Testament points to who? To Jesus. So let's look at the very king of this kingdom that's being described, that's going to smash every other kingdom to pieces. The ultimate king. Jesus is, you know, Jesus in the New Testament is referred to. What's the different terms and titles for Jesus? Just throw some out. There's so many of them. Messiah. All right, you got it in two. Son of man is the one that I wanted. Jesus is referred to as a son of man 88 times in the New Testament. But notice it's got a double meaning. Son of man describes Jesus as a literal human, a man. But he was much more than just a man. And do you know, that was actually one of Jesus' favorite titles that he would use to describe himself. 
Luke chapter 19. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now notice, he came, you know. Not like you and me, you know, Tamari. We never came. We were born, and that's when we began. Jesus existed before he, he came. Otherwise, he couldn't came. Right? <laughs> I know that's not good English, but... So it shows you that there's something special about him, right? In, in John chapter 3, it says, No one has ascended into heaven. Listen to this. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. I told you that he came. The Son of Man. You see that? Oh my gosh. These are good verses for Muslims when they come and they want to say that Jesus ain't God. And then nowhere in the Bible did Jesus say he was God. Okay then. Who was it? Who, who, then? He, he, he was a man, but... There's something more about him from his own lips. John 6, verse 62 says, you read it already, isn't it? It says, then, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Son of Man, right? This is an extraordinary term because any Jew upon hearing this term would find it hard not to think about a particular portion of Scripture. Listen to Daniel the prophet speak about a mysterious man who would come at a certain point in the future. My son was telling me, he said, oh, dad, you're doing Daniel today? I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, the only verse I know in Daniel is Daniel chapter 7. And I was like, you know what, that's the banger, really. I mean, it's all good, but <laughs> this is the one. And I said, I'm going to share it. I nearly never got there, son, looking at the time. Um, Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14. Oh, my gosh. Verse 13 says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like who? Son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Now what does that sound like? Coming with the clouds of heaven. What does that sound like? Jesus coming, mighty army. Sounds like the second coming, doesn't it? Sounds like judgment. Like coming with the clouds is peak, like yo. The Bible says every eye will see him, you know. Listen, it's scary, but look at the direction of travel. Coming with the clouds of heaven, notice, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Can you see that the Son of Man is moving towards the Ancient of Days? He's moving towards heaven. He's not coming away from heaven like coming to earth. So this is not the second coming, right? This is, this is the Son of Man ascending towards the Father. Now we talk about the death of Jesus and the resurrection, but one of the things we tend to forget is what? The ascension. This is the ascension where Jesus now has conquered hell, death, and the grave, and he's going back to the Father. It's nice, bro, isn't it Nice. And he's, and he's approaching the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And watch verse 14. He was given, this is the, the son of man as he approaches the ancient of days. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is one of those portions of scripture that the Jews 
don't like to talk about. It's a bit like, is it Genesis 13, Melchizedek? They don't know. It's, it's, those are obscure portions of the text. No one's got the answer to who that is. <laughs> Just leave it over there. The coming of the coming son of man, <clears throat> also described as Messiah. Notice, now Daniel's, Daniel's murder, you know. Look, look at chapter 9 now, talking about this same son of man, but described as the Messiah. What is Messiah, what's Messiah synonymous with again? Savior, not so much. Messiah is the anointed one. It's a, so, who, who gets anointed? The king. Psalm 2. Right? The king. Daniel 9. Did I go there already? Daniel 9 verse 25 says, No one understand this, you know. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, which is who? The ruler or the king comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. I don't have time and I'm not smart enough. Pastor E done it and marked it once and helped us to see how this 70, this 62 weeks or 62 sets of sevens, you time it right from the time the edict goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem. You time it. It's actually the very, very, very day that Jesus gets crucified and is killed. He's cut off. He's put to death. Um, you can look that up. Messiah, the ultimate king. And then thirdly, Daniel does another, oh my gosh, another one. He smashes it again. This mystery man in Daniel, chapter 10, that we're going to see revealed somewhere else. And then we're done. Daniel 10, <clears throat> verse starting at verse 4. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. Note that. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flame, like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice was like the sound of a multitude. Verse 7, I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep. My face to the ground, coming like the brother fainted. What does that sound like? If you know your Bible, it could have... If I never told you that was Daniel chapter 10, you would have thought I was reading from where? The book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, starting at verse 12. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His eyes were like, we just read that. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he had seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun 
shining in its brilliance. Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, seated on the cloud, one like a son of man. See, Jesus is coming. The way he went, remember, he went up on the cloud, and the disciples stood there looking, and the angel said, What are you staring at? (laughs) He who you see going to heaven is going to come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven, right? And here he is. I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head. See, I'm trying to say, who's the king? Who's the real king? God says, I'm your king. More specifically, Jesus says, I am your king. I am the king. Amen. I'm going to invite the, the band to come. Actually, don't move just yet. Don't move just yet. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.